Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, I'm excited to get into uh, this message uh, in this series from the start. Um, and the thing that about Genesis that I have come to you know learn is the deeper you get into the Bible, the more you realize how important the book of Genesis is, uh, not just for giving you background information about you know the creation of the world, but really a lot of the themes, the insights, the perspectives, the the patterns that we see throughout the rest of Scripture get established in this book. And so in other words, it's not just a book about ancient history. It's also a book about the present. And one of the major themes that we see from the beginning, and this is going to be where we spend most of our attention today, is that God, in his desire to have relationship with us, in his desire to see us flourish and be blessed uh, on this earth, gives us a choice. He always gives us a choice. And that is the, the theme for today. The choice is ours. Well, what is that choice there? There's a lot of different things, but you, I want to take a step back because you ever try to like you come in and maybe visit a friend or family member and they're watching uh, some type of series. But you're like they've already seen a couple episodes. And so you're trying to like catch up and figure it out. And then you end up being that annoying person to ask a lot of questions. And you're just like, you know what? I just need to go back to the beginning and just kind of catch up to how we got here. Right. Well, we want to do that a little bit now, because before we get into Genesis six, we got to kind of see how we got here. So you, you may remember that uh, in the first message in this series, really going back from the beginning, in Genesis 1-1, the first words we see in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. A lot of mystery there in this passage is about what all that means, but we'll get back to that. Verse three, and, the, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. These are the first few verses in the entire Bible. And it talks about a God who creates, but there's a couple things that are specifically important. But by the time we get to six to see Genesis six to see, and that is that first of all, you realize God had the power. We're talking about a being who could speak in like literally things come into being that weren't. And with a being with that type, imagine if a politician had that type of power. Imagine if, you know, an athlete had that type. I mean, just that's kind of dangerous, right? Like to, just to be able to have that ability. But what we discover, and sometimes we can miss it because we're so used to hearing these words, is that God chose goodness. He chose to bless others with this power. And it says that, and it was good. And it was good for whom? He didn't need anything himself. It was good for the creation. And we also see that he separates in that first passage, light from darkness, and then he separates the water. So there's this two-part formula that we see in Genesis 1-1. And if you, if you go by it too quickly, you won't, you'll miss it. 
part of that goodness is creating the form or the space for living things. And then the second part is filling it. You know, we saw Mikhail, uh, you know, she's expecting when you when, when, when the baby do. Three to five weeks. Okay, so album about to drop soon, right? (laughs) Now, in that process, you've already prepared space for the baby. There's already a crib. There's already a room. There's already space prepared. So first you prepare the space and then you fill it. If you're trying to care for someone well. And that's what God does. And so from the start, God chooses goodness. From the start, that's the that's the first point. And and this is foundational as Pastor James preached last Sunday, because the first trick of the enemy was to convince humanity that God was not good, that God is holding out on them. He has nefarious plans and intentions, things to harm you and not to your good. And this is still this narrative that is alive and well today. The God of the Bible doesn't mean you well, but something else. Well, that was the message that the 11 a.m. guy, if y'all were there at the four o'clock, you see that he did this freestyle sermon that because it wasn't recorded, we, he, we closed out 98 Fifth Avenue. Well, it's going to be the lost tapes. I don't know if anybody <laughs> recorded it, but it was a fire sermon. But the 11 a.m., we heard about this. And so in Genesis chapter three, we see that God's goodness is interrupted by human choices to do something different. As a result of that corruption. And so the choice we see in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And so what we see is this choice is before them and they choose to disobey God. And what happens is sin and death enters the world. It creates this separation of relationship. All of a sudden, the God who they were walking in the midst of the day with, complete intimacy and fellowship, now they're hiding from that same God. Now, all of a sudden, this this same person that Adam, when, when he woke up and saw Eve started breaking out in song, this is flesh and bone of my bones and flesh in my flesh. Now he's saying it's her fault. Now, all of a sudden, that the creation who God gave uh, Adam and Eve the, the call to name, now there's enmity between the serpent and the woman. There's this total aspect of that breakdown because of this choice. And, when, and, and in chapter four, and I'll just kind of go through it quickly. It's not on the slides that we see this continue with the next generation. Cain and Abel, they, they offer sacrifices to God. For some reason, Cain's is rejected while Abel's is accepted. And so God sees that Cain is mad about it. And so what he does is it says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God sees that Cain is in a bad way. So he reaches out and says, hey, just I'm I'm not rejecting you. I'm rejecting your offering because it wasn't done in the right way. And just be right and we be good. Well, Cain didn't listen to that. He murders Abel out of a sense of jealousy. The descent into this separation continues. Chapter five happens. And one thing that was interesting, subtle, subtle, subtle thing. But in chapter five is the first chapter in the Bible where God doesn't speak. 
And instead, what you see is this constant refrain. It's in the form of a genealogy. And this person was born and he died. And this person was born and he died. And this person was born and he died. And the point is showing how the separation, because of the choices that humans made, continued to cause division and destruction. Sin is the greatest threat to our relationships. Our spiritual relationships, our social relationships, our relationships with the planet, our relationships with ourselves are all corrupted through this aspect of sin. And so now that brings us to chapter six, where now all of a sudden, like a virus, we see the global spread, the pandemic of sin reach epic proportions. Now, I'll just kind of set the stage before we're going to focus on three, but it says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any as they chose. And there's a lot of theological speculation about the context of what this is all referring to and what this is all means. But we'll get a little, we won't get too deep into that part because I think it's actually separating from the main point. Is that whatever it means, and especially I think we have a hint when it says, and they took as their wives any who they chose, there's this aspect of aggressiveness, right? There's an aspect where there's somehow type of a coercion and a force here. And that finally in verse three, it's then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Whatever was going on, he said enough is enough. And that 120 years is not referring to the length of their days in terms of how old they can be, the the maximum. It's talking about the length of time from the time he decrees that to the time the flood comes. 120 years. From the start, humans chose rebellion against a good God. Rebellion. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to think about it, right? Because these, this aspect of taking life, taking wives, taking things is the exact opposite of what we saw in Genesis 1 when God uses his power for good. It's the exact opposite of that. And so we see murder. We see sexual assault. We see idolatry. We see injustice. We see them make God's and then play God. As Andy Crouch says, those are the two sides of the same coin. One side is injustice, which is playing God in people's lives. The other is idolatry, which is making a God out of yourself. And the two of those are usually intertwined. This is so important because oftentimes people just jump into chapter six and then make a lot of assumptions based on what they read about the flood, about who God is and who and, and, and why he did that. And, you know, interestingly enough, recently there's been a lot of uh, villain origin stories. Have y'all noticed this? Like, if y'all remember Maleficent, like when I was growing up, she was just like the evil queen and like Snow White right now. It's like, wait, wait a minute. She got a story, y'all. She had trauma. Like Maleficent was going through some things. Right. And it's like creates her into this like sympathetic figure. Same thing with the Joker. When I was growing up, the Joker was just like the Joker. He's the crazy bad guy villain. It's like, well, actually, people laughed at him when he was doing comedy, but like not in a good way. And 
and they usually embellish on the on the content that's not like canon to the character. But but there's this this fresh retelling, and I would submit to you that the God of the Bible needs a fresh retelling of his story. That the origin story has been so misunderstood and misaligned that by the time we get to places like you know chapter six, it's it's actually just misconstrued to get altogether. And that's where we have to understand there's an agenda behind that and an agenda in a postmodern, post-Christian society to present God as the bad guy. As one African proverb states, until the lions learn how to write, every story will glorify the hunter. Well, the lion of Judah has written. And we just need to read more closely about the story of the flood. Now, one last thing I'll say before we jump into it is this story isn't the one that you see in children's books, right? See, some of this, we don't, we, we don't do ourselves that much of a favor where, you know, we present, like, there's so many historical inaccuracies about this, you know what I mean? But it's like, oh, look, bunnies, an ark. You know, it's like, wait a minute, did you, y'all know it's coming, right? Like, why are you presenting this? Like, so, you know, there's this, this sense where, there's, you know, it's like, you go into the kids' room and it's just like these rainbows and it's like, wait a minute, you know, like there's a lot of bad stuff that got us to this point, right? But then on the flip side, you see even the movie, No, I don't know if any of y'all saw the movie, No, I don't recommend it. It was a terrible movie on a lot of fronts. But in the movie, they actually make Noah out to be like this man, man, maniac, like in who even wants to kill the babies like that are on his own boat. It's, it's a banana story. But somehow between the fantasy of the children's stories and the kind of just darkness of of that movie there's something there's a story that's being told that's bigger than both and let's get to it and jump into verse six it says the lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled so the lord said i will wipe from the face of the earth the human race i've created And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. It's right there in the text what is going on here. That word, when it says God regretted, is a really interesting, it means that it pained his heart, that God was like somehow grieved, that he had a broken heart by seeing his creation after creating this incredible um, space uh, that was full of abundance and full of life and full of blessing, turn into this place where now they're killing other people made in his own image. Humans are capable of incredible cruelty. We've seen this over the last year with a sovereign nation in Russia just deciding to invade another nation in Ukraine and just killing. We're hearing stories of war crimes and just people being run out their homes and just completely raped, murdered in the street. We think about the genocide in Rwanda, in Bosnia from decades ago. But then even we don't have to go overseas to see this stuff. We see it here with another video of another life taken by authorities for for no reason. We see it when we look on that call and it says scam likely. (laughs) And they got sophisticated, y'all. I I now have gotten a couple texts 
from someone acting like they were my boss. <laughs> like with the name, like, hey, I'm in a meeting right now. I need you to send me like a gift card real quick. Sign my boss's name. Well, they're actually more subtle. At first they say, hey, are you free? Boss's name. And I you know, was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, cool. I need... That's how sophisticated it's gotten. Yeah. Double check, verify, verify. People are like, wait a minute. I sent that text to my boss. So here's the thing. When we look at just even the last 100 years, right? I mean, we're still within 100 years of the Holocaust. Millions of people being murdered. And so when it says that God regretted and that he grieved, it doesn't mean in the sense that like he changed his mind. It means in the sense of like emotionally, it is such a vexing thing to see his own creation be murdered that it's like, I got it. This is not what I had in mind. The shock of Genesis six isn't that God judged the world with the flood is the shock is that he took so long to do it. Think about it. He said the day you eat of this tree, you'll surely die. He still gave them time. After the spiritual separation happened immediately, but physical death happened hundreds of years later. Cain and Abel, when Cain killed Abel, you know what the penalty for death in the Old Testament is? Is capital punishment. He actually prevents Cain from actually experiencing that and protects him after he kills Abel. Grace after grace after grace. It's funny that everybody loves a good payback story, except for when it's God doing the payback. Like, Punisher is like, yeah, you know, like, let's watch since, you know, or any other show that you get, Real Housewives of Atlanta, whatever it is that you like, people getting payback and telling somebody off. We like it, except for when it's cosmic rebellion. So he says in that word, wipe away one last thing on this. It's the same word that David uses in Psalm 51, 7, when he says, blot out all my transgressions and iniquities. It's an aspect of cleansing so that something new can actually happen and come forth. So from the start, divine consequences to sin are a cosmic cleanse. Everybody's into cleanses, right? And what was the idea behind a cleanse, right? Oh, like I just ate like a fool at a barbecue. <laughs> and so then, right, I just got, oh, and I'm going to get some juices, some green juices. I'm going to like detox myself. And so we, we go and it's like a hard reset. Well, that's essentially what God does here. And that the thing that is so interesting is that what you see when you look closely at the flood account is it actually is an act of decreation. Remember in Genesis 1 when it says that first he created form and space and separated the waters from the land and then embodied and put in beings in the land. Well, the flood does the opposite. It blows away those boundaries and now all of a sudden the water once again covers the land and kills everything on it. And here's the point of that. What God is showing is that he's accelerating the consequences of our own sin. Because that's what sin does. It decreates us. If you look at any particular thing that you can do that uh, goes against, I think about addiction, right? And you're taking, putting things in your body that doesn't belong there, and then becoming addicted to that. And then that, over time, that will kill you. It's an act of decreation. So here's the choice that's before us. We will either choose to decreate our sin by faith or God will choose to decreate our world. That's the choice. Either we do the decreating 
or God does. And fortunately, he shows us how we can get on that path and how we can change course. In verse eight, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. It's a quick, little, but very powerful description of Noah. He was righteous and he was blameless. And look what it says, among the people of his time. It is pointing out the fact that everybody was wilding out and doing whatever they wanted. But somehow Noah decided, I'm going to trust God and choose him instead. And that word blameless in the Hebrew is the word tamil, which has this idea of not having cracks or fissures. Let me break that down for you. So essentially, if you had a stone and it had cracks and fissure, that means things can get into it that don't belong there. Impurities. Being blameless means that you don't have cracks in your character. That means that whether you're at church or whether you're at your job or whether you're in your apartment, that there's no cracks. It's still solid all the way through. That's why we say somebody, oh, that's a solid brother. That's a solid sister. What we mean is that there's not cracks there. Are there cracks in your character? Because if they are, they will be exposed. While the sin and lawlessness was happening all around him, he was blameless. And it's hard to remain blameless when the culture is celebrating sin and booing righteousness, right? Like, it's hard, like, to remain celibate when everybody, you know, around you is, like, mocking the very idea Right. It's hard to have integrity at your job when everyone's saying just fudge the numbers or just cheat. It's it's difficult to do. But the reality is Noah was blameless and righteous. And as a result of that, God saw favor on him and gave favor to him. From the start, Noah chose to trust God in the midst of a culture that rejected him. But doing so means doing so alone at times. It means doing so going against the grain, being ready to be ridiculed or mocked. Can you imagine what people who didn't believe God were thinking as Noah is building a enormous boat in the middle of dry land? Land, there wasn't a, a sea hundreds of miles from where he was. Any ship builders today always build next to the water. So that way you just push the boat into the water. They're looking at this dude like, you're a fool. You're building a ship. Where's that going? He trusted God in the midst of that. So verse 13, God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. So he he then tells them, yo, I'm going to I'm going we're going to hit the reset button here. And the interesting thing is that the flood overwhelms boundaries because human sin overwhelms God's boundaries. And he's giving us a picture. He's giving us a mirror to that. But look at what he says. He says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth, right? Everything on the earth will perish. But here's the thing. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. You are to bring into the ark 
two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. This, but I will establish my covenant with you, is the, is, is the thread of mercy that we still see in the midst of the process. We will learn, if you read the entire story of Noah, that blameless doesn't mean that he ain't never done nothing wrong. That is, it is not that he's perfect, but God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for faithfulness. And even in the midst of that, he graciously decides, I am going to establish a covenant is an agreement, uh, a, a lifetime lasting agreement between two parties. And God says, I'm going to establish this covenant with you. And so God decreed that the flood would restore the cosmic order that had been disrupted by the moral depriv- deprivations of humanity. And restore things back. And just so you know, this isn't the only time. This is why it's so important to understand Genesis. This is the only time he decreates something. The next book over is Exodus. And what happens when God hears the cries of the uh, enslaved Israelites because they were experiencing injustice as a result of the idolatry of Pharaoh who thought he was God himself? And what ends up happens? The 10 plagues. What do the 10 plagues do? They decreate. All of a sudden now. Water turns into blood. All of a sudden now, remember, let there be light turns into darkness, the last plague. There's this aspect because God responds to the cries of his people and responds to the wickedness and injustice in the land. The blood, he says, of Abel cries out from the ground. But it's a crying out of judgment But what we get to see in Abraham in this ark, I mean, Noah in this ark, is that in the same way that God will hear the cry of Abel and his blood, that he also hears a cry of mercy. So then we see Jesus on the cross. Say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing as his blood is streaming into the ground. Do you see the picture that's being established in Genesis Someone put it this way, God ruins an already ruined creation and in so doing creates conditions for a reordering and the renewal to take place. Some of y'all know if there's a, a building that's about to get collapsed and it used to be glory, it used to have glory, it used to be nice, but now it's just the foundations that, you know, it's just messed up. They have to bulldoze it in order to rebuild. From the start, God chooses justice and mercy. And it's a it's a mixture of two that don't we can't quite grasp. And if you're still like, yeah, but that just seems extreme. Just that's where the trust comes in. Of course it is. Like, how am I going to put myself in the mind of God to completely understand what's the right amount of justice and the right amount of mercy? How do we do that? Well, seven and eight continues describing the flood for the sake of time. We'll just skip to the very end. And Genesis eight twenty. It says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. This is a fascinating verse. Because why did God destroy the earth and everything in it? Because of human wickedness, right? So he says, 
I, that it was because of wickedness. But then it says every inclination of the human heart is still evil. Like, again, we see this immediately when Noah gets off the boat, builds, you know, gets a vineyard, gets drunk. Some stuff happens. It just gets really weird. And, um, and it's like, but wait a minute. Why, even though things continue to get bad, why is it that he says he makes this devout promise, never again will I destroy it, the land? Well, it has everything to do with what happens right before that, the, ac- the sacrifice that Noah sacrificed on the altar. You see, the picture was set from Genesis chapter 3. What happens when Adam and Eve sins and, and, they, and the, the consequences of their sin is their shame and their guilt and they cover themselves with fig leaves and God says, that's not going to do it. And he covers them with the skins of an animal. That was a sacrifice. And so here we are with Noah. He offers a sacrifice and, and the sacrifice pleases God and it allows his wrath to be sustained and held back. And what this is, is a picture. Do you know that that word pitch when it says that like the pitch was like basically the sealant that sealed in um, the wood from uh, the water getting into the wood when it took. And that was part of the instructions of the ark. The other word, uh, the other time that word kafir in, in Hebrew is used is to talk about the atonement cover. The same word for pitch that sealed them into the boat of safety is the same word that's used for what happens when our sins are covered by the blood of the lamb. God is continually in the process of giving us grace even in the midst when we don't deserve it. And so one day Jesus gets on this mountain of Calvary and he becomes the atonement, which is why John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. From the start, God offers a restart. From the start, there's always the opportunity to hit the reset button. There's always an opportunity to to get it right, to come to God and confess. Sin is crouching at our door, but grace is also right there for us when we fall. And that's what the story of Noah reveals. In Hebrews 11, it expounds on all these people that made this choice of faith. It says in verse seven, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. The New Testament writers looking back on Noah and his choice and you know what's wild? Because even that word condemned can sound like, ooh, that's, that sounds permanent and permanent and finite and just dark. <laughs> one of the ways that this word is used is defined this way. By one's good example to render another's wickedness more evident and censorable. In other words, Jesus uses the same word when he talks about how the people of Nineveh are going to rise up and condemn this generation because they heard Jonah preach and they immediately repented. Meanwhile, the generation that was before him, who he was speaking to, was not repenting, was not turning away, was not believing his message. Here's the good news. Even in that aspect, what he's saying is you have a choice. I'm hoping what Noah built, it took him 120 years to build the ark. Peter talks about how he preached in that time. Every day, there was another opportunity for people to hear that message and say, I want to get in that boat. But they chose not to. Even in the midst of the justice, there's still this aspect of mercy that God continues to level out and to meet out. And God establishes his covenant with us. And he says, 
There won't be a flood anymore. But there is going to be a judgment that's coming. Not a flood, but the fire next time. And so the key challenge for us, the key challenge each day that we wake up, the key challenge I want to put before you is will we choose rebellion against God or trust in him? There's so much to this story that we could talk about and the complexities and the history and all that. And sure, I love having those conversations. We could talk about that offline. But the main thing about this is, will I be someone who's willing to go against the grain of the culture and stand up for the truth of who God says he is, even when everyone around me looks at me, laughs at me and says, that's ridiculous. Will I choose to build for the kingdom to come, right? Noah was building for something that nobody had ever seen before. There had never been a flood of that proportion. There had never been this sense of even rain at that point. And so he's building for something that people hadn't seen. And that's the same choice that's before us as we look to build a life, not for this one, but for the one to come. That we invest in other people, not just ourselves, that we look to give more than we look to get. And the last part about that is, if you're here and you think about the last week, the last even 24 hours, and you're like, sounds good, preacher, but I've blown it. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in my past. I'm not, no one can say I'm blameless. When you look at that hall of faith in Hebrews 11, from Noah and other others, you see that nobody in that whole chart is either but what they do have in common is that they made the decision to trust God even through their brokenness and that choice allowed them to be exemplary people that God says look look at them you want to see what faith looks like that's what it looks like but would you stand with me as we as we pray and close out the choice is ours today And it's a choice we have to make every morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for even in the midst of your judgment, there is grace and mercy. Even when there is a flood of consequences of our sin, there's still an ark that you make possible for us to enter in if we trust you. God, it is hard to be blameless and to walk upright in a culture in which that is not popular. And I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice would see and get encouragement from Noah who was willing. He doesn't say any words. He just goes about the business of building for the future, for the kingdom. Would you let that be us today? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com.
If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.